because I almost quit so many times because I thought I was just incapable of that. Like my lifts weren't made for the instrument. I didn't have the mentality or whatever it was. Yeah. But yeah. you really just can't look at the results and think just because you're failing right now, that that's going to be how it's like in the future. Welcome to the Trombone Channel. Today we have Sarah Goldberg along with my co-host. Andre Crowdy. And welcome to the Trombone Show, the show that takes any idea that Trombone Retreat Podcasts is thinking about doing and we do it, and we do it before them or we copy their idea. I don't know. That's a joke, honestly. Anyway, um, so today we have um, undergraduate student studying trombone at Juilliard, Sarah Goldberg. She has amassed, over the, over the last number of years, she has amassed a large following on Instagram. And as far as I can tell, it's the most Instagram-followed trombonist. All things considered, she has more Instagram followers than Christopher Bill himself. Though granted, Christopher Bill has his home based on, inter- on the internet is YouTube. Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much. For, oh, thank you so thank much. You. I, I really appreciate um you joining this uh, interview, with, your interview with us. Just let the people know we're also live on Instagram with uh, Sarah's handy dandy fat following on Instagram, uh, uh, providing us the exposure that we so desperately needed to maybe ask questions from the from the audience side of things, basically. All this, all this things were. So yeah, I think I really, really appreciate um, you being flexible with us despite our numerous technical difficulties, you know? <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's well, no problem. Also, I thought Chris Rebill had a lot more than me on Instagram, but nope. maybe I'm wrong. No, okay. I no, you can, you, no, you can like you can have show him up and just be like, yo, I got more followers than you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's I don't I don't really care about it, but um, if you're watching this, Christopher, hello. Yeah, hello. <laughs> I hope you're doing well. <laughs> How are you doing, Sarah? Um, yeah. Is it a is it a fall break right now at Juilliard, or is it just a weekend? Uh, how are things? Just- I'm doing really well. Um, it's just a weekend. I had a very busy day today working with pre-college. Um, I have two birthday parties to go to. I was telling Jack this earlier. I have two birthday parties tonight and I have not bought the gifts yet. So that's what I'm going to do after this. <laughs> just just, just, um, just go to like a yeah. Walgreens or something and buy gift cards. I don't know. Yeah, that, that's probably how it's going to go. <laughs> okay. Quick question. Whether you, whether you share their names or the birthdays and all that, like what instruments do they play or do they, or do they play an instrument at all? One of them is a horn player. Uh-oh. Um, another one is a trombone player. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go, you, you know, you want to spend a little more time with the trombone one and the horn and the horn player, you might as well just skip it and be like, Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot your birthday. You know, maybe it should be in social media more. Maybe Sarah, next year. What is your, uh, <laughs> default birthday gift oh oh i don't i don't think i have one like i usually have something specialized for each person i either buy them something that's really expensive or something just really personal it really free followers free followers on instagram (laughs) yeah or i just give them a shout out on instagram yeah yeah because i i always struggle with uh with the birthday gifts i i really want I, I think I just overthink, but my, mm-hmm. lately my go-to birthday gift has just been like a little succulent, just like a little plant. Um, oh, that's perfect. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can get that's one for perfect. a few bucks and they're just nice. Yeah, yeah. You can never have too many succulents, honestly. Like, Absolutely you really not. No, you can't say right. no to one either. Like, you're crazy if you say no to a succulent. <laughs> I, will, I will never refuse a succulent. Yeah. Or any plant, to be honest. <laughs> 
Yes. All right. So to kind of kick things off, I guess we'll start like Sarah, where were you born and how did music and or trombone kind of come into your life? And when it came to when it came time to like, you know, pick an instrument, like why was it the trombone, you know, of all things? Related? <laughs> Just kind of, kind of walk us through that a little bit here. So I was born right here in New York City in Queens. Actually, I moved here or sorry, I moved to Dallas, Texas, where I basically grew up like most of my life. Um, when I was really young, I probably was a couple years old, probably even less than that. I don't even remember at this point. Um, but I was introduced to music while I was there. I was in like music class every year and I always just loved it. And I was singing all the time. And then recorder came into my life in fourth grade, um, which I really enjoyed. And from then on, I knew I wanted to be in sixth grade band. And so whenever it came to the sixth grade band fair, I was trying to choose between tuba, euphonium, bassoon, and trombone. And I really all, was having a hard time. They're all like low thinking. instruments. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I gravitated towards those. Um, but I just thought about how passionate I was about annoying my older sister. Cause we hated each other when we were kids. And I, for <laughs> some reason I thought trombone would just be the most annoying. So I was like, you know what? Just I'll wake up Samantha in the morning. So this loud ass trombone and this, this is the right fit for me. And so I picked it. That's and now I her and I are best friends, like the bestest of friends. I love her to death. What happened after that? Oh, yeah. I went into middle school and I first started off really not liking trombone. I absolutely hated it. I was going to mm. quit. And then I found out I got last chair, last band um, whenever I moved on to middle school. And I just got really upset. So I decided to stay in it so I can become better at it. There's like that cycle, like you practice and you get better. And then whenever you get better, like you want to play more. And it's just like this whole cycle. There's a chart online, but like I knew in seventh grade, as soon as I got really good, I wouldn't say really good, but better at it. Mm. Um, I realized that I wanted to definitely be professional and do like something music related. I didn't know what, but yeah. Um, and so I went into high school marching band, did all the whole Texas thing. I know you probably related to that. <laughs> Didn't know that you were from Texas when you mentioned uh, Dallas, you said, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. basically where I was. Yeah. So Sarah, very quickly, I just want I just want to backtrack a little bit. Because so when you were in the last turn, the last band, I mean, you're all miserable and all that, like you very easily could have said, well, this isn't for me. I'm going to uh, do some sports thing or something like that. Why was it that you that why was it that you wanted to just make it work out when all the evidence in the world was showing you you suck at this and that mm -hmm. you should maybe like run away from the problems or anything like that like how did it come to that you would rather figure things out and may maybe fight the issues that you were dealing with to improve improve upon them or anything like that you know i found that when i was younger especially i well also now like it's really hard for me to be good at something naturally and i was really fed up with the fact that there wasn't something i was just really good at there are like some things I think like I was creative in like different ways, but um, I, I was just not, I didn't have like a main thing and I kind of was just desperate to find that. And I was just tired of like, Oh, my brain is just wired differently to like be really slow at things. So I think that was mainly what pushed me. And I'm really glad that it did because I, I still challenge myself in those ways too. For a while, I just accepted that I was bad at a lot of things. And now I'm trying to like work on other things besides just trombone. Yeah, I think that's basically what sums it up. So as you start getting better and all that, like you go to high school, what, what high school did you go to? Keller Central High School. I went there for my first three years. 
first three years, um, and, and then and then presumably interlock in fourth year and all that. But what was Keller like? I mean, would you would you would you recommend anyone living near Keller to go there if they want to also become a badass anything musician or anything like that? Or I did leave for a reason. I personally did not enjoy it too much, just because there was a lot of toxicity. And if I'm going to compare it to Juilliard, it was a lot more toxic than Juilliard. I mean, it was an incredible education. Like if you want to get good at your instrument, like going to Texas is like the way to go because there's a lot of good music educators here. It was done for the wrong reasons when it came to the student standpoint. I really did love the directors. It just, it wasn't the environment for me. It was very TMEA focused as well, which I never got into Allstate. Um, Mm. And I, I did not... If we're oh really wow uh, yeah he did to be so, honest was... I always placed last in region well, at least after I switched to bass trombone I just did terribly which is oh, ironic so that's surprising huh yeah now well, you're like on top of the world <laughs> well um I it was when I went to Interlochen when I was like wow when when uh, everything just like sparked up and I started getting good guidance and s- so that I was actually getting well rounded on my instrument um. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing you talk a little more about interlock and when it's time for that. But yeah. that's oh, that's yeah. how it went for me. So yeah, <laughs> I definitely agree with that. Like I'll I'll talk about interlock and more. But like at mm-hmm. the school I was at, it was just very focused on playing well and executing yeah. rather than being a well-rounded musician. And that was exactly what I was missing because results mattered more than proving you're well-rounded for any other situation in life, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If I'm thinking about my improvement during high school, it was pretty much like this when I was in Texas and then completely shot up when I went to Interlochen. Yes. Um, And I would have completely laughed my ass off if someone told me I was going to be here at Juilliard by the end of like my time at Central. It was a little sad at the end because COVID happened and I was hoping I'd have at least some closure to the end of like my time in Texas, but mm-hmm. that didn't really happen. I mean, it's okay though. I'm, I don't really worry about it or anything. But so um, your your yeah. senior comes around, and when and why did Interlochen become like something you want to do? I mean, you didn't make the All State Band, so what was the merits behind like proving you could survive Interlochen or anything like that? You know, I did have doubts at first because I have I had an amazing teacher. While I was in Texas, and him and one, I, one, one, one who, talk. one who, one who uh, did not just pressure out, do well in, in these tasks, plain tasks, but also just like well-roundedness or anything like that. You know what I mean? Or yeah, what kind- exactly. Okay. okay. Yeah, he was. He was like when I was in Texas. I don't think I appreciated how amazing of a teacher he was because I was just so used to someone like just saying, "Oh, okay, wrong rhythm. Oh, you played that note wrong. Oh, we're gonna expand your high range instead of like actual musical." advice and he gave me musical advice he really helped me improve that aspect of my playing and helped me actually understand what making music is because for a while i thought it was just like oh just think of like being sad when you play this and then you play it in your musical like (laughs) that's basically what texas band taught me for a while um but yeah he was amazing and i was and that was like the one thing that was like oh i i don't know if i want to go to interlock and just because of that. But then I talked to him about it and he was super encouraging. And this all happened like right before my junior year, I was considering it. I think I just saw it on social media and I just became interested in the fact of going there. And I've always wanted to be in a place where people were just really, really passionate about music yeah. and not just like, oh, doing band is like a side thing. It's just different whenever you're around people that are passionate about it and really want to get better at it. And another thing is like, 
if you go to school with people who flew all the way across the country or across the world just to go to school at this one place like you yeah. know they really want to be there yeah i mean um, there, there's there's like i mean it's it's not just you know doing the same thing other people are doing but also just like knowing these are the risks people take i mean a lot of money exactly. is spent on, on like surrounding yourself learning the same things you are so that you can have the best of both worlds basically and i've said this before about interlocking and i'll say it again it kind of sounds like interlocking it's like the gateway to a successful music career or if you don't get interlocking you're fucked and you got you have to settle, settle, settle for mediocrity or settle for mediocrity or anything like that you know i've heard of amazing people that didn't get into interlocking um i probably shouldn't say names but like right right yeah but i i do think it is a great gateway into like the rest of the music world because i mean it's interlocking like <laughs> it's life-changing i will Andre, also say interlocking yeah. just in general does education really well i i found mm -hmm. when, when i was there i um obviously the um you know the concentration of passion for the for for arts and the different disciplines is obviously there because that's what most people go toward there for. But even the mm -hmm. academics were done like all the teachers were really fantastic they seem to have much better autonomy for how they taught their material than like you know my experience in public school and i'm speaking from experience i also went to interlock and if anyone's watching didn't know um I'm so the only guy yeah. that didn't <laughs> you know yeah yeah they, they just seem to do education quite well it is a private school so they have more um more say that what do you, i don't know what do you think sarah i definitely agree? agree with that um yeah. at my public high school the teachers were like a lot of them are coaches like they only are at the school so they can like coach a sport and then they teach history and they're not very good at it and i did yeah. get lucky i had some amazing amazing teachers at my public school and also at interlocking too so and i do want to say before we move on from like the whole Texas thing. I did yeah. learn a lot from my other high school. Like, I don't want to mm -hmm. completely shaft them. I learned how to be disciplined from them. Like, they really helped me develop myself um, as a person, become a lot stronger. So I really appreciate my experience there um, for that reason. And the teachers were passionate, like you were saying, like at interlocking. It just was in a different way that it didn't work for me. And it worked for some people, but just not for me. I'm gonna um, veer the so I'm gonna veer the conversation unless you were gonna say something else, Justin, Sarah, or Yeah. Okay. So so you mentioned you've been at you were at interlocking for one whole school year before going to Juilliard the following year, right? Yeah. So it stands to reason that around this time you were very active on social media, particularly Instagram, getting a, a lot of followers. So like, I'm sure this may have been a regular thing or not, but like, what was it that motivated you to share your progress learning an instrument out into the open world on Instagram? So I started it actually when I was in Texas, I started my sophomore year. It was January 1st. So it's going to be three years in a couple months that I've had the account. I think I was just kind of fed up because I've seen so many people just post like perfect things. And it's not like, I enjoy seeing it. It's like, yeah. I love how people post, but like, no, I felt like no one was really honest hmm. in a lot of ways. And I expected like, before I came to Juilliard even, I thought everyone was perfect. Like before I met all of them. And I, <laughs> now that I'm here, I realize that people aren't as perfect as they seem because Obviously, they didn't put it out on social media, which is right. respectful. But I'll I'll get into that later. Um, but I wanted to just give an honest view of my journey and not just post good things all the time because the classical music scene is just very 
like elitist. I know we can all agree on that. And I think the only way to shift it into like a more positive environment, humane um, and humane. Yeah, exactly. Is to actually like get out of our shells and like show things that aren't necessarily the most perfect. And it it is kind of hard, like going against the grain and actually being honest about your progress. Cause honestly, these past couple of weeks, I haven't wanted to post that because I'll get into that later. Because like all yeah. things considered, like people like you could say, Oh, I'm being honest about my so so playing when when people would want to see perfect things and people might be like, Well, you suck. Wow. I'm gonna I'm gonna unfollow you. I, you know Yeah, that's that's true. Andre, you have anything to add to that or you know, highlighting the process rather than the product or like mm-hmm. that that perfect result, like cherry picking the the one result that one product that was the best but highlighting the process instead you know the process of growth of working through mm-hmm. something making something better so i mean i mean that's what i i see a lot more of i think maybe is what you're talking about a little bit um sarah but that's, i see a lot more of that on like social media is just you know i want to show you know not my perfect product products my you know me in the practice room lips and you know blemishes and all that's how i see it is just a focus is a increased focus more on the process of learning rather than the, the perfect products that most people <laughs> post so that's how i yeah. i see it yeah yeah that's true yeah and i i do see like there are so many more people that are yeah. actually posting the process now which is oh. awesome like i couldn't say that a couple years ago like there was absolutely nothing like oh mm-hmm. just like a practice video of something that isn't like perfect yet but is right. you know um very sparse i mean social media in general is all about like i mean you know how people post pictures of their perfect self it's the perfect photo after the 500 take or something like that i don't know yeah and it's just like how social media can reinforce like being perfect every single day and just showing all the positive sides of who you are where at this where at the same time you distort people's vision of what it takes to be normal do i have to be do i have to push myself to be perfect every single day or like you said shift everything to a more humane and like real being more realist about like and honest about just like how we are as people in general you know and i guess one more question about social media really just like how does it feel knowing that like you know doing what you're doing like do you think that contributed to the fact that you have 20 what twenty-seven thousand followers today or is it just the fact that you posted anything period because like could you have also jumped on joined the bandwagon of being perfect and still got and still gotten the same amount of followers i mean what do you think it is like i think if i posted perfect products i would not be posting as frequently as i normally do <laughs> but, you, but, <laughs> like, but like you know like even if even yeah. like even if you did like after all, it's it's a brainless algorithm that knows yeah. nothing about like, oh, all social media algorithms do is like find ways to help tech companies make the most ad revenue they can because that's how like Facebook makes money. Because at the end of the day, like whether whether it's this or that, Sarah, because like it's still Instagram, it's still owned by Facebook who just wants to make the most money out of it. And like to go back to that question you were asking, like if you think I would have the same amount of followers. Yeah. Oddly enough. A lot of the posts I have that actually sound really bad. Like there's a lot of likes and understanding comments. Like, yeah, yeah. It's it's not even like I I don't think having perfect takes even has like correlated too much algorithm that much. Of course, if you sound really, really, really bad, not many people are gonna be sharing it and being like, oh, you should check this out. (laughs) But like cancel um, this person, you know. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I I think it's mainly just the consistency and using hashtags. That's I think that's really helped. Also, to go back to what you're saying about like the money, I barely made any money from the Instagram, like the account I have. I've mm-hmm. like it's all from like 
collaborations with brands. And most of the time they just give me a free product. And then I like give it to my, one of my family members because they want it or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I've never just gotten money. <laughs> like right. straight up. Actually, I'm, that leads me to ask, cause uh, you do have a lot of, uh, um, you know, like brand sponsorships and whatnot. And I'm always just curious about that. Like, how does that start? Who approaches who first? Um, how do, how do you work that into to your, what you do? Now, granted, anyone yeah. who's on any Bachelor show gets hundreds of thousands of followers whether and also whether they're being a dick or not in the show. Just like, that's kind of what they become Absolutely. after that, surely. But like, obviously, you're, you're not on the Bachelor or Bachelorette, but you have gotten a lot of followers <laughs> by means of, you know, being asked by yourself on social media. So like, mm-hmm. you know, tying with that, like, what's, what's it like knowing you have a large following and, you know, not just that, but like a lot of respect from people who have watched you grow and develop and share all that on social media, really, you know, that kind of thing too, mm-hmm. you know? About like the collaborations, I'm going to be honest. I I don't think I've approached anyone about it. I think I should. That's a, like, I never have like gone out of my way really to like, oh, uh, can I like do this for you mm-hmm. um, to like promote this product? Usually like they DM me or email me and I'm usually open to trying whatever it is because maybe it's not the best quality, but like, I always see the good in everything too much and so and even if a product isn't something normally people like i always find some good in it and then like i actually enjoy it i don't promote things i just don't like though for the money you know that kind of thing yeah yeah exactly yeah i mean it's i've really enjoyed it i really enjoy like the marketing side of social media it's not something i just do for the money or like for the product or whatever i actually just Mm -hmm. enjoy doing it so um yeah i i'm glad that's the case i know if I didn't enjoy it, then I probably wouldn't be posting like all these collaborations and stuff. But I feel like I post a little bit too much. There's one time where I think I had like two or three collaboration posts in a row. <laughs> but let's not talk about that. <laughs> it's, so it's safe to say that let's say you graduate Juilliard with 100,000 followers or more, 500,000. I don't know. Just like your attitude, your approach towards social media is just going to remain the same. Like your your enhanced following is not going to distort your like, oh, I should do this instead because I have this many followers or anything like that, you know? A lot of people don't really treat me as a person whenever they first meet me. Hmm. And um, it's like a little bit of a joke, but like people just say like, oh, you're Sarah plays Tramone and not just like, oh, you're Sarah. <laughs> you're yeah. Sarah walking um, down the street. So you promote being hum- humane on Instagram. So is it a joke or, is, or do people like look at you and be like, wow, here's that perfectionist or what is it? <laughs> I think I when I was at Interlock and a lot of people, they're, they just like called me that. I think as a joke, they weren't like treating me uh, like anything weird or anything. Like in a weird way. Just like when when did you start interlocking again? What was it the what school year was it? 2020, 2021 or that really? Yeah. So it was August 2020. So, so well into uh, a, over so a little over a year ago. That well into that. a well into a full fledged pandemic. No vaccine has been developed. And um, I mean, pandemic could have also just made people not go to interlocking instead because of a pandemic and that you know, it's remote lessons and all that. I mean so why did you go anyway? Yeah, there are actually it was a double-edged sword because some people came to Interlochen because of the pandemic and their mm. schools weren't doing ensembles, which was kind of a mistake because Interlochen ended up being one of the places where there was the least amount of like big ensembles and like mm. no orchestra, no one ensemble. But for me, I was like I was gonna apply like way before the pandemic started, and I was just really like dedicated and like to go there. I was 
like already, I already had my sights set and I wasn't just going to leave because there was a <laughs> pandemic. It was a little bit iffy though, like the middle of July. And I still didn't know if I was going to go because they didn't know if they were going to have a school year in person. Right. And I mean, it was a lot. It was still like a really amazing experience despite that. We had our lessons in person. We had a lot of things in person. Um, cool. It was just very restricted. Like, yeah. like I said, no large ensembles. And like, there were some things that like did not go great with it. Like we couldn't leave campus at all. Or have visitors even. No. Yeah. We couldn't see any. Yeah. It was, it was bad. Like I hadn't gone in a car for months, like while I was there the first semester like we were just locked there but the good thing about interlocking is that it's huge and you can just go roam in the woods like outdoors like by the lake it was wonderful and i i really miss that being in this concrete jungle uh of new york i can show you um my view from there actually yeah yep yeah there's all my trombone books right there like right under it but then that's it's covered i I don't know how this works it's covered on my screen it's covered by the chat i don't know it looks great Oh, oh, oh and yeah. The overcast. Like, oh, yeah. The overcast yeah. really s- is sells the the vibe, the New York vibe too. At least the, between Interlochen and in New York, gray oh, yeah. jungle. Uh, <laughs> the only green to be found is Central Park. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at it right now as we speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So, um, any? Yeah, I mean, oh, go on. sorry. So, go, go on. Ahead. Go on. No, go on. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, it was it was nice having a big campus, like for that reason. Like, I didn't feel as locked as some other people did because I know a lot of people didn't have the best experience compared to me. What were some things you loved about Interlochen, and maybe some things that you that you didn't expect? I mean, obviously the pandemic, but like, what were some challenges you had to face? I mean, you know, surrounding yourself with people who essentially set their sights on being a musician for their profession. I'll go into things I didn't like first. It was a little bit toxic at times. There Uh-oh. was like some Uh-oh. drama i was never involved i like i'm I just the better player care. like like that kind of stuff really or be it uh, was more like boy drama and like friendship drama i heard about like in other divisions especially there was some mm-hmm. in the music this division but i was mm-hmm. just super focused on college applications that i didn't really like i wasn't a part of it i honestly kept to myself a little bit too much while i was there which i do regret but everyone was understanding and so like it was fine but that was an issue the whole COVID situation, that was not great. And like the administration, like all the faculty were amazing. Um, But the administration were just very like, they weren't doing what's best for the students. They were just like Uh doing like stuff to make Make the school look good and make money, of course. Yeah. Those are the only two things like, other than that, like I thought it was amazing. Um, what I really loved, oh, I got a shout out, uh, shout out um, Tom Riccobono, my teacher while I was there, which I know you worked with him too, Andre, but That's he right. was the most amazing teacher I could ask for. Absolutely blew me away every mm-hmm. single day just working with him. I never really learned how to believe in myself before he was my teacher and so like oh my god yeah i was just used to people saying oh you want to go to juilliard that's that's so dumb like you're not good enough that's like, so in my face go yeah out. exactly yeah. <laughs> um but rick Bono was like the first person like in authority that really like truly believed in me and like saw past my mistakes and really respected that about me and so i think because because of him like i wouldn't have i wouldn't be here at juilliard i i don't even know what my how my life would be right now but 
I owe everything I have now to just him. Like he's like, I, I cried so much when I left him. Like I didn't cry like saying bye to my friends, but I cried so hard, like saying bye to him at my graduation. That was Um, the (laughs) same reaction I had after walking off the bus after my last high school cross country meet, because my high school cross country coach, Mark abusing his name is, Mm -hmm. um, not, not the coach anymore. He's, uh, his kids, his, he's got a family to raise anyway. Um, but like at first cross country, I was hiding behind the walls, avoiding workouts. And like, Mm -hmm. as, as time goes by, like, you know, this was not like a powerhouse kind of a cross country team, but like, it was like the energy you spent on some coaches say, Oh, well let's, let's be the best team in the state of state of Illinois. And, um, others, um, and others like my coach, like what he instilled upon us was just like values and teamwork and growing up to be like real, just like sound gentlemen, honestly. I mean, I, I can't really describe it, but like um, he, he instilled in us values, the kind of values that stick with you forever about being mm-hmm. helpful and just th- that kind of stuff really. So yeah, same similar reaction. And on the note of like self confidence, Andrew, I'm sure you can absolutely relate to this. Just like how to be self confident in yourself is just like one of the biggest like challenges one can overcome in their life. Honestly, it's you know yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, and that you know, at least in my experience, that has not been like a linear path. Like, uh, it's been very much like well, just like all aspects of developing, it's been very much like this. You know. You experience, uh, you know, you'll experience like blows to your self-confidence um, while you're learning and then uh, be built up again. The people people that I was around had a lot to do with building self-confidence, like Tom Riccobono. Like you're talking about, I, I, I relate to your experience with him as well because I, I think, yeah, yeah, working with Tom was uh, like figuring out like what I should be doing on the instrument and like you know, his enthusiasm and belief in like that I can like play well. Also, like I was saying Mm -hmm. for me, at least I was, you know, last in region and all, you know, for bass trombone, but I was in, I love bass trombone anyway. So yeah, I mean, it can be difficult to, um, really build up your self confidence, um, especially like mindfully, you know, recognizing like where your self confidence is, um, and college and school, I mean, it's more than just what you're there to study for. You know, you, exactly. there's lots of things happening that can affect that as well. It's a developing relationship, you know, you and your own self-confidence for what you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, that's that's my thoughts and experience on it. You know, Can I ask it's, like, oh, I'm so sorry for cutting you off. <gasps> um, I was just going to ask, like, how, how do you think Rick Avono helped you with that? I just want to like hear your experiences mm-hmm. with him. So let me put it this way. So like, I, so I didn't know what interlocking was at all. My I think my grandma was like, have you considered interlocking? Because my yeah. uncle went there for Allstate. They used to do the Michigan Allstate there or whatever. Oh. I was like, oh, I don't know. And it sounds like, you know, something where people who are really good at their instrument, like, go to for the summer. Uh, but I ended up sending a recording. for. So I was applying for the summer based on just this. Have you ever heard of this thing? And then I didn't think anything was come of it. And Tom Riccobono messaged me back. It was like, we'd love right. to have you in the symphony program in the summer. And also, have you considered the academy? I was like, what's this academy? Like, yeah, right. A private boarding school. This was like during the summer before the next year. It's like, I don't think I'm going to move to a private school like for my last year of high school. Uh, having, you know, in like six months time. You know, that I went to this. I went to Interlock and, and experienced what you were describing, Sarah, just like people who were passionate and like total nerds about what they were there for, just like how I was. So feeling that and a teacher, Tom Riccobono, who's like, you do these things really well, or like, but now let's do this. Or, you know, just acknowledging mm-hmm. that I, 
that I loved what I was doing, not even like even before like that I was good at what I was doing, acknowledging that I really cared about what I was doing and was thriving on being in that environment. Riccobono, I think one of his powers is that he's also a huge trombone nerd. He like gives that energy in his lessons and instills that kind of like love and passion. Like, you know, we all kind of know just like his students become trombone nerds too in a good way. So for Mr. Riccobono, he instilled, he like helped me double down on that passion. Also like was like excited and passionate about whenever I did things well and also passionate and excited about what there was more to learn and develop um, in that attitude. Um, I think that he brought and also, you know, just the believing me enough to invite me to what I thought was something like really high level and exclusive that really built me up that made me like excited to audition for conservatories and to shoot high higher than I thought that I had any right to. So yeah, that's, that's, that's my reflection for, for Mr. Riccobono. Also that I, I really desperately need to, to give him a call because I haven't talked with him for a while. But, uh, so, you know, yeah. I need to as well. Tom yeah. sounds like one of the finest gentlemen anyone will ever know. I mean, I did not go to Interlochen. I did not even hear about Interlochen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was not huge into music. I mean, I was very serious about being good at the trombone. Like, I wanted to be in the All-State Band and all that, but mm-hmm. I, that didn't happen really. I considered music in college over and over again. My, my parents were very cautious about like, well, this is what you're going to have to deal with. I'm like, okay, I guess I got a normal job because you don't need a degree to play your instrument or anything like that or anything. But yeah, uh, very quickly, uh, Sarah and Andre, how are we doing on time? Do we have to qu- do we have to end this anytime soon or yeah, just, I'm just doing kinda... well, but I think we could move, yes. move forward yeah, exactly. from Interlock. Yeah. There's so much to talk about Interlock. It's so oh, cool. Yeah. I'm glad that we that we <laughs> yeah. share that. But we also yeah. at least you and I share the Juilliard thing. And you've been there for like half a semester so far. How's it been yes. so far? What have you um is it what are some things that or you weren't expecting maybe some things that met your expectation. Tell us how well, it's been so far. Well, well first, yeah. um, if, if we could, if we could just like, you know, like what were your thought, what was your thought process in what college you want to go to and how that all played out basically. Oh yeah. So I'll answer both. Um, sure. Wow. So that whole process last year was just absolutely crazy. The most stressful time of my life. I had a clear face with no acne. And as soon as the college audition process was over and it started, like I, I grew, I grew all that. Um, <laughs> that's how stressed out I was. <laughs> yeah, but do that. Um, I I wasn't really set on going to a conservatory university. I was set on Juilliard, yeah, but I was I was open to going to both. So I applied to five universities and five conservatories, which I didn't even try to plan that out, making it half half. I just realized it the other day that that was the case. None of the auditions were in person, like at all. So I took the opportunity to apply to ten big mistake because i was really stressed out um mm. i had to record so many things and yeah. i i really regret applying Re- to reserve space and all that make sure other people get their time as well and that reserve space and all that Th- those things really oh yeah we had yeah we had a lot of reserve spaces to, like to record in and you're competing I, with every other student also doing the same thing reserve space reserve space exactly. reserve space. You know, yeah exactly kind of um, I don't I'm know sure that was hard, if you yeah. remember the fine arts building, Andre. Um, that was where I did a lot of mine and like some places in the music center, which I don't think were built. Yeah, that wasn't built whenever you were there. Um, no. But yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. Set all of that up like with the reservations like a long time in advance. And I put it in my calendar just because I, I was really stressed out. So I put so many, so many reservations. I recorded way too much. Um, but I applied gosh i always forget so obviously juilliard um northwestern vanderbilt 
Manhattan School of Music, New England Conservatory, Cleveland Institute of Music, Montclair State University, DePaul University, Montclair. Wait, did I say that? Montclair yep. State University? Maybe. I already yeah, said that. Yeah. Indiana? I did not say that. And there's one more I'm forgetting. Yeah. DePaul, I already said. You, you did said say DePaul. DePaul. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's, that's cool. Easter. That's cool. You're right. Oh, okay. oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so you're right. driving the you're driving the point home. It's lots of schools. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I applied to those, and whenever I got all the decisions, it was the hardest decision ever because I knew Juilliard was my top, and then I originally got waitlisted, and so the whole month of April I was trying to decide. You, and first of all, you got that, you got accepted into all those schools you mentioned, right? Did you did you not mention that? Oh, I, I did not mention that, but yeah, I did, which I was shocked. I, I don't know if you saw my college decision reaction video, but I did. as, as it's you been a can while. tell, I was very shocked about, especially Northwestern, because that was awful <laughs> my audition. I just knew Juilliard was my top and then everything else. I had absolutely no clue. I got it down to Northwestern Vanderbilt, and I was pretty sure I was going to go to one of those. And then I got it down to Northwestern. And then got off the wait list when I was right, really about to um, commit to Northwestern. I was, mm-hmm. I actually got all the merch and I was going to announce it and everything. And then wait list opened up and then now I'm here. <laughs> I mean, that that, yeah. that, that could have been an Instagram post you later took down like, oh, sorry, everyone. Disregard that. If you saw that. <laughs> nope. Nope. Yeah. No. No. I'm so glad that I did not post that then. <laughs> right, right. That could affect your decision. Just having posted a video, you know, be like, now oh. it's embarrassing for me to take it down. That could affect your trajectory. That, that, that would have made me feel decision, really, so. yeah, that would have made me feel really weird. Just like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'm really glad I'm indecisive because I, I was really... Like, the only reason I decided on Northwestern the time I did was because I... I was asked to give a decision on Vanderbilt like sooner than the deadline so they can let people off the wait list. Yeah. And I, I just like was like, oh, I think Northwestern. Like I wasn't even sure. So Vanderbilt but, essentially rushed the process when they couldn't yeah. have? They just wanted the waitlisters to have a chance to like think mm-hmm. if they wanted to go because if, if they the go off the wait is, list after, The grass is greener on the other side. Give us your answer right now so we can give other people the, I don't know, benefit of the doubt. I mean... That's interesting. That's, that's that's an interesting way of doing things. I'll say that. Yeah, and I wish Juilliard did that too because you know I got off the waitlist two days before decision day, and there I, Northwestern couldn't give me an extension, so I had to decide between before um, May third, and I decided like two hours. I had to accept or decline. That was mm-hmm. how last minute everything was. Um, oh, that's intense. Yeah. <laughs> so you got into Juilliard and you decided to go to inside to go there. Uh, did you practice the summer before going to Juilliard? Because one of us did not, and it ru- and, and it nearly ruined his career. Uh, <laughs> it nearly it nearly ended his life. Honestly, I mean, I, I, I mean, everyone's canceling him about died. it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, are there any other Andres? No, I'm kidding. No, don't ask that question. Um, <laughs> no. <just laughs> no, honestly, I'm glad that I that became a part of that video because hopefully it's encouraged other students to not do that. So exactly, oh, yeah. Yeah, because I saw that before coming to Juilliard. I saw that video, um, which I remember like what you said about Northwestern Juilliard being, you know, because you went to both schools. And I was like thinking about that. And mm-hmm. and then I was, yeah, that made me confused. But it actually helped at the same time. It helped me like be aware of what I'm about to run into. Um, I'm glad. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? 
Sorry, <laughs> I'm losing my train of thought. Oh, did I practice before Juilliard? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I like. I was really <laughs> we afraid. Can boot Andre from the call now. Bye. Andre, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I already felt super behind just because everyone in the studio is absolutely insane, and so Vegas. I was. I kind of practiced because of fear, not because I loved it. It kind mm. of. And then right before I came, like in August after NYO, I was playing so much during um, National Youth Orchestra <laughs> in the summer, this past summer. Um, yeah. And I just kind of got a little bit burnt out. And so my practice wasn't as serious. Like I would practice like two hours a day, which is a good amount for most people, but usually I'm used to practicing like four. And so that was a little bit weird right before coming. I don't think I improved that much this past summer. Honestly, I improved from like a musical standpoint, like knowledge wise, I learned so much. I also realized I do want to be a conductor um, and have a career with trombone and conducting and not just performing the trombone. Um, That was something I learned during NYO. And so I learned a lot in that way, but not as much like playing, I think. I mean, I asked a question before just about uh, how Juilliard's been so far. Um, The only regret I really have or I had at some points was just the fact that Juilliard's expensive and Mm -hmm. I had a really good scholarship at Northwestern. And sometimes I'm like, Sarah, like, why didn't you like like that? Like, yeah, why didn't you save money? But I, yeah, but that's the only thing I was really shocked when i came here i wasn't shocked at the fact how everyone plays amazingly and everyone like there's not one weak person here but i was shocked at how nice people are you always hear these stories about juilliard being like this evil place or whatever like with the putting andre, the blades andre can tell you the, all about it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but putting the blades between like the the keyboard um little keys and and just other things about certain faculty members. It wasn't like that at all. Like, especially in the brass department, everyone is so chill. Being a student here, you don't feel scared walking up to other students. Like you're just Mm. all friends. Normally, whenever I'm in group chats with people, I'm afraid to say anything. But in the trombone group chat, I feel free to say anything I want. And I don't feel like weird about being judged like for it. And that's the first time I've ever felt that way. About did a group of people. Did anyone look at you and be like, hey, she's the one that got waitlisted and then got in? She didn't really get into Julia. She just lucked it out, you know, all the things. Like, <laughs> did, 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 I mean, I mean, you proved it yourself. I mean, you said it yourself. You got waitlisted first and then you got in. Like, mm-hmm. do you get a better app for that or not really? Does anyone get a better Not at all. Okay. Absolutely no one cares. And I've been open about it. Like, I tell people, yeah, I was waitlisted. But <gasps> she like, got waitlisted? What? <laughs> oh, get her out of here. No, no. But, I think I made, I think I searched this up to make myself feel better about it. Cause I was, I felt a little bit weird about it. Like I just felt like more behind, but mm-hmm. basically it like when, it, whenever you're waitlisted, you do like have capability to be in the school. Like they yeah. would accept you mm-hmm. like a hundred percent. It's just because they didn't have enough room. And mm-hmm. so um, I, yeah, I no one, it, no one cares. <laughs> I thought it was always because like, because someone's better than you, even though you're good enough or anything like that, you know, I was shocked. Like, at that too like when no one cared i mean some classes i feel like oh like this is really hard like i'm probably one of the dumbest people in the class but most of the time i don't feel like terribly behind like i shouldn't be here i know like all the trombone players here are just amazing Mm -hmm. but like i don't feel like oh like 
god like i i shouldn't be here like i should just transfer somewhere else where i would fit and not be the worst one i'm just inspired by all of them nice and i know i'm not i'm like the weakest but that's pretty much what i signed up for i'd rather be in a studio where i'm the absolute weakest and can be inspired by everyone else rather than totally. being somewhere where i'm just like in the middle because I, how am i gonna get better i felt exactly. the same I felt yeah. the same exact way, and I'll pass the mic off to you, Andre. But like at the first college I went to, the high school I went to, Libertyville High School, very great band program. I had room to grow, and I managed to win ensemble. And we had a lot of fun in that group, really. I go to this college. The music department is very average, and I'm already at the top of the game. I'm. They asked me to be in the orchestra because no one else auditioned for it. I didn't even know they had an orchestra, and I'm just like I'm at the top of the game, and I'm like, well, how the heck am I supposed to improve if I, if I have no one to inspire me and all that? It's like. I was that was one. There was one of the many reasons like why I couldn't improve because I couldn't. I didn't regularly have someone next to me saying like, "Oh, well, I can do this and you can't." Well, I better start practicing or anything like that. Having room to be inspired and grow and like as opposed to like mm -hmm. just proving you're the best all the time, really. You know all those things, really. So, uh, Andre, your question now. Well, uh, just to add on what you're saying, in my experience, I have learned just as much, if not more, from my colleagues in these situations than just like the then just the people that I'm going in studying with lessons yeah. like Northwestern Juilliard, that studio atmosphere of like great camaraderie first, like first, like just healthy and positive social, like interpersonal interactions. And then like also everyone around being on the same page as far as their, um, their drive, their motivation, and just kind of pushing each other by, you know, sense of always working. Um, mm -hmm. That's been one of the most uh, influential forces in the places that I've been. And it sounds, and I think I have always preferred being in a situation where I'm surrounded by people who are better than me. Cause then, yeah. then, then you, then you rise to a level. Uh, I've not, I have been in situations, uh, you know, later on after, you know, where I was more of a big fish, big fish in a small pond and you don't learn as much that way mm -hmm. you can get comfortable. So yeah. So, so, so I definitely think that's the way. Um, yeah. And you get more opportunities, like you get principal playing mm -hmm. this or you get in the top workshop, but it's not the same. Like you're not pushed mm -hmm. as much. Like, it's like, you have to push yourself like on your mm -hmm. own, which is a good thing. But like it, I feel like it's more of an urgency to like get a lot better when you're around people. So yeah. I definitely agree with you there. I like so the word you choose chose too, the urgency. Cause then you feel that urgency, like, I, I can do more. Let's go. Let's go. Um, yeah. It's, like, it's well, not like a necessary like negative pressure. It's just like, yeah, yeah I just, you know, I want to be better at yeah. this, you know? Yeah. It's exactly. like you can be rewarded with this opportunity to play in this illustrious orchestra, but like, what's that going to do to you? Just learn to play in an ensemble better. I mean, haven't you been doing that all your life basically? Whereas like, again, as you guys were saying, you know, you know, have, having something to grow to is some better than proving can graduate the day you walk in, you know, that kind of thing really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, sir, really quick question. Uh, yeah. When I was at Juilliard, all the brass players would like to use the dance suites uh, to practice in. Uh, and also because there's a shortage of practice rooms, we'd like have like two to five people in the one dance suite practicing to make space. Is that still going on? Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. oh, <laughs> that's so funny. I don't practice. Well, I what I do is just steal the room for myself, usually. I've also been a little bit too lazy to walk to the music building which is literally 100 feet away i don't know why <laughs> but I, like, i've been buildings. doing a lot of yeah yeah it's literally connected um but i've been doing a lot of my practicing the residence hall recently but 
people do use those spaces all the time like in the nighttime and you walk through like the third floor dance rooms they're just it's just brass players and mm. they leave their spit there which they're not supposed to uh, yeah that's <laughs> um but sometimes like after rehearsals like with my trombone quartet or like my brass quintet we just like just practice in there like mm. like for like half an hour afterwards just for like no reason um, mm. and we're just like sitting there no we don't even think to go to another practice room or anything it's it's pretty cool like i don't know yeah yeah some of the people that i, I formed relationships at uh, Juilliard who are not like uh, uh, musicians were uh, like a, either a drama or a dance person kicking me out. <laughs> She's like, oh, hey, really? sorry, I have this room. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm on my way out. And then start talking oh, and we're yeah. friends. So like I have a handful of people who our friendship started by saying, hey, I need you to leave. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's a nice memory and it's, it's fine. But yeah, I, I mean, those dancers, they, they're putting their whole body on the floor. It's like, don't leave a liquid, even if it's condensation okay. and not spit, just like, you know, bring paper towel, use the trash can. Yeah, anyway, that's, exactly. that's the way. So people so, can like slip too. Like, like that could yeah, get yeah. really bad really fast. So Sarah, now that you're at Juilliard and it's been a while now, like what are some things you were not expecting at Juilliard? I mean, obviously you knew it was going to be a badass studio and you know, like the expectations of just being the best player you can be were there as well. But like, or some things you weren't expecting, like, you know, going to Juilliard, basically. I did let you know about, like, how nice people are and how, yeah. like, mm -hmm. friendly. Juilliard seems to be a very private institution. They have some, like, videos up, like, a campus tour and, and like, a lot of trombone choir videos and whatnot. But, like, you never really have a good idea of, like, what you're getting into, I think. Mm -hmm. And so just coming here and, like, exploring the campus and going to all my classes was just a shock because, like, I never really heard much about it. And I mean, I wasn't expecting something bad or anything. I just didn't expect that to be the case. Another thing that surprised me, like the orchestra cycles, because you're not on every orchestra concert. Um, you're you're just switched off with everybody. And it is really busy. But there are some days like like on Thursdays, whenever I'm not in an orchestra cycle, I just have nothing except low brass class at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And Mondays, I just have one piano class and like the classes aren't even like, I don't know, they're stressful, stressful because they're hard, but they don't like take up like too much time. It's just a matter of practicing what you're told. It's and the teachers actually teach you like in very healthy ways, like they really care if like you understand the content. There's actually a couple. Uh, yeah, there's some that like I, I don't really like vibe well with. But overall, I think like it's a really good education. I'm not used to just education being so like high quality here. Like I just, I already, I can feel myself growing like mm -hmm. from day to day. Normally you can't because like, you know, uh, improvement is just super, super slow. Yeah. yeah. It takes a while, but mm -hmm. I feel it every single day, even like every trombone choir class, every little brass class. Like I, I feel like my brain just like rewiring itself mm -hmm. and like, I'm just learning a lot. So I also, was not shocked but i was just i was happy to see like how like people are just so eager to play with one another like they're just like hey you like you want to play duets hey you want to play quartets yeah. like just so casually like everyone mm -hmm. just wants to make music here it's not just like oh well we should probably just learn some quartet repertoire mm -hmm. just because it's needed like they do it because they want to which is yeah. awesome Absolutely so the people great. 
So the people want to play together and they're like so open about like, you know, making music. The school itself essentially privatizes how great it is so that so that people can refer to, oh, the myth of oh, Julia, Julia, Julia being, oh, Julia. It's like, it's like myth mythologically good or anything like that. Just like, you know, being private, you know what I mean? A little bit. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. So, um, so back to our conversation of like, you know, using your Instagram account to humanize growing on the trombone and share like hey it's okay to not be perfect here's how that can be i wonder if you could i don't know how this would happen but like tell julia to like say like shift their narrative of being private about themselves to being open about like here's what it's like so that people know what they're getting into you know what i mean a little bit yeah yeah i think the thing with juilliard is just everyone is really busy like they have like a social media team and i know they do a good job like on the instagram but they're more they're not like I think it's more for like admissions purposes. I'm probably wrong about all this because I honestly haven't not done too much research on it. But I mean, I've, I'm on Juilliard Student Congress and we're having our first wow. meeting next week. And one of the points I was going to bring up is having a lot better social media coverage because a lot of people, well, one <laughs> thing is that they don't even apply here because they think a certain like faculty member or they right. think like the whole school is just super toxic. And which it can be true. I think every place has like their ups and downs. I'm not going to say this place is perfect. It's definitely a lot better than people made it out to be. And I hate to say that because like everyone has their personal experiences. Like I don't want to like talk down anyone's experiences. Like I right. completely respect that, but I feel like I never hear good stories though. So um, <laughs> it just, I don't know. I think, I think the students are also just really like private too, because they just want to focus on getting better at their instrument or just art form um, that they don't even think about like trying to like advertise Juilliard or like posting more content about it on social media. If, if you look up like Harvard room tour, you can find so much, but if you look up Juilliard room tour, there's not much at all. I remember seeing that and it's, it's just because we're so we just have different interests. Like, I think one more Juilliard ish thing we can talk about just like, I mean, may, may, maybe has been there's maybe has been like inferred before in our conversation. It's just like, well, what are the faculty like? I mean, who, who's your teacher right now? Like who, who's who's studying under who right now? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So there's a lot of people like I like I work with like a lot of faculty members, but like my actual teacher is Joseph Alessi, nice. um, which has been an incredible experience. I know it hasn't been that long since I've worked with him. My first lesson with him like before I got accepted was like less than a year ago. Um, so it's, it hasn't been very long, but I learned so much from him every single lesson. Like, like I was saying, um, about like feeling my improvement. I feel it so much with him. He has this like magic that like, he helps you hear things like in your sound that like, you just don't even notice. And that's like, I think the best type of teaching because like someone who actually teaches you to be a better teacher to yourself and like helps you like improve on your own like that's like the best that they can do for you not just them telling you oh do this do that do you know mm -hmm. and i know i've heard like stories like you know him being harsh and whatnot i never really thought he was harsh i think he just has high expectations um that's right he he yeah he does get on to me like whenever something is not right like he demands me to be like my best my best self when it comes to my musicianship and whatnot he doesn't let me sound bad 
In my conversation with Peter Steiner, he mentioned in a different interview with uh, Trauma Retreat how Joe was, well, Joe was like ripping him, ripping him apart after a concert right now. I'm like, well, why mm-hmm. was that? And and um, I think what people need to understand, and now that I, I'm really glad I understood this now, is that Joe will rip you apart for the right reasons. And he will not exactly. just kind of, and he will not just, you know, I'll just yeah. be like, you suck. Go play better. I don't know. Make my life more interesting. I don't know. Just like he knows what he's doing and he's not just doing it for no reason. Like he will yeah. rip you apart for the right reasons and not just to, not just to make you feel bad like there's a reason behind everything he's doing and it's not just like well i'm joe alessia i can do whatever the i want you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. really yeah yeah that's that's super true like he's like he knows like if he gives you like like a really <laughs> like positive pep talk after you don't do well like he then you're gonna start like accepting that in a like mm-hmm. in a way and so he always wants you to keep like the high standards for yourself for yourself right. it's not like just the standards from his perspective but for yourself too um which i really appreciate and i know like it has like i said it hasn't been long so i haven't seen that like side of ripping me apart like of him he's like such a nice person like in all ways like he's he's great i am uh actually going through an armature change right now he had me start that which is part of the reason why i only playing like the very last cycle this semester i think he said like yeah like i don't want you to be like focusing so much on like ensemble rep and whatnot and yeah. even solo stuff he told me not to practice any etudes no solos literally just fundamentals and mm. it's been like that for two weeks which has been super weird because i haven't touched an etude in a week or two weeks i mean does it make you um, feel bad does it make you feel like you're behind other people who are just like whipping out these solos and just playing them perfectly like start to finish and no issues at all just like well what am i doing here doing fundamentals i mean obviously like you'll, you'll get to there but you're like you have to prove that you need to understand the fundamentals and all i mean i just basically answered the question right there yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely <laughs> thought that for a while, and I still do in a lot of ways. Because since the armature changed, my range is completely, oh, it's gone. I'm building it a lot. Like it's improved a lot in a small amount of time. Because, you know, whenever you get to a certain level and it's really hard to see improvement, like I think we were talking yeah. about it before. Yeah. But whenever you start from nothing, improvement, it just happens so fast. It's super mm-hmm. encouraging that because i haven't been like a beginner at trombone like in years and so to see like me gain like two or three partials in a week of my range was like absolutely like i didn't even know that was possible like how (laughs) um since i'm so used to just not gaining a single partial in like a year (laughs) so when you talk about these armature changes are they happening because you're working on these fundamentals and just you know learning the trauma from the ground up or is it like joel telling you like put your mouth here and that will happen you know that kind of thing he's the one that like prescribed the armature change because he noticed some a lot of issues i was having like i have a Mm -hmm. very low set and I would mount it on my chin and like anchor mm-hmm. it on my top lip. And mm-hmm. it just wasn't very even on my face. Yeah. 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 And so it was causing a lot of range problems. I was double buzzing a lot because like mm-hmm. the way my lips were set up, it just yeah. caused for double buzzing and my air wasn't being used efficiently. Um, yeah. And so he just knew it was right that like I should make the change, even though it, was, it would be really difficult. And so I was going to audition for like ITA, Gagliardi and like, couple music festivals and like a lot of things but i can't do any of them anymore so Mm -hmm. um which it's it's been a little hard to accept because i'm always used to just doing so much and always preparing something but he also told me like i didn't come to juilliard just to like be on top of the world or anything i came here to really learn how to play trombone and so right i think i need to just like take it back a few steps and just like 
really do this right this time. And then I can like do all the showy stuff and competitions and whatnot whenever I'm actually ready. So it's like stressful in that sense, but it also has been really nice just having time to focus on that and not so much on other things like competitions and all that. I guess to like coming towards the end of this interview, I just have a few more topics to discuss. I think uh, one uh, we can we can, we can probably we can probably move on from Jordan a little bit right now, but just like um, talk to us about your partnership with Hag Trombones. Now, you could have done any partnership. I mean, you could have just played your own own trombone. It, it could have been Bach, Shires, Yamaha, Getson. But like, how of all things did it become? Did it end up becoming Hag? Where you at this festival and there was the Hag table and you played the horns and you just kind of loved it from there. Like, I mean, how did it happen? Really, you know? Yeah. So the first time I played like a hog trombone was like whenever they sent it to me after I like customize it, but you know how it started. Um, so the owner, he reached out to me and just like proposed this idea. And I honestly didn't, I didn't respond for a while. Cause I just thought it was like fake or something. Cause I didn't think I was capable yeah. of that yeah. happening. And then I just like was scrolling down my text another day. I was like, wait, you know what? I should just, let me just take, see up, take, take the scammer up on the opportunity. Yeah. Let's see what this guy's Maybe got to offer. Fake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like the more I talked to him, I realized like it obviously isn't fake. And I looked at the account and like I like did my research and like, wow, this this brand is legit. Like have like, other brands really reached out to you? About a trombone part? Yeah, yeah. Just like have other brands done the same and you took up their word and just like paid the horns. I mean, like mm-hmm. or or is it or is it has has it only ever been hag or you know? Hag was the only one that was like a like an actual like brand that like makes horns like professionally there have been like some weird like thing amazon related trombones <laughs> that have been asked like for me to play it and i i did not amazon even I, like i they're like on amazon you can like wasn't amazon Jeff Bezos wants there. your money <laughs> <laughs> no it you mean, was like not those, amazon um, asked me chinese that cheap those like chinese uh cheap copies yeah, I uh, think so. Rip-offs. I forgot yeah. what they were called. Yeah, the ripoffs. Yeah, I. Right. Sierra. They wanted me to make a YouTube video and post, <laughs> but I did not do that. Um, yeah. Because I, I don't know. I didn't see a point in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Chinese, um, Chinese no, ripoffs. Chinese ripoffs are like a video of its own I should make someday. Just talk to people like, "What's your experience with this?" Because Sierman yeah. copied Greg Black's mouthpieces mm-hmm. at a festival and like, and that like Greg Black ripped them off and you know that that. Well, you, it's you know, quite a. You, I was gonna say it's quite a phenomenon. It's ha- like they'll they'll have like people come to um, you know craft shows like ITF or whatever, and like really carefully like play and observe, and then uh, you know go back and and uh, make basically the same horn but you know much cheaper. Uh, so that, that that would be a good video. I'd be interested in watching that. I'm, I have I have yeah. a lot. I have a lot of videos I gotta make. I mean, I have an I have a plethora of a list of ideas honestly i mean it just comes down to time honestly it takes time to do yeah. research it takes time to talk to people it takes time to make sure things are accurate because i did put out a trailer for a series of videos about the history of the trombone and then yeah. and then doug year reaches out and says i love i love what you're doing i love the effort you're putting in half of it's bullcrap and and he had good reason <laughs> you know I'm, I'm i'm not kidding because like i was because like i doug was yo? i was uh, yeah doug yeah i was citing like any webs any information i could find and just calling it truth mm-hmm. because i kind of figured it would be kind of reasonable but he was like yeah the renaissance slide trumpet the the existence of that was debated anyway all that all that basically but yeah um well he's like a fantastic researcher and academic mm-hmm. so oh that's, yeah that's cool he, that he, he, he writes out he, he writes books and in my and i and i had a 
email conversation chain with him and I asked him and I kind of pondered the question, is truth dead? And he's like, absolutely, truth dead because three based trauma players from the 1950s thought this about the trauma and according to research, they were all wrong. I don't know, that 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 level of like, you know, just like, what was he liked about hag trombones? I mean, you've obviously probably tried all this before, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was on a Shires um, before and I really loved it. I, I was like a little bit hesitant about switching. And then like, I just started like, you know, the um, the owner asked me like a lot of questions about like what I want in a horn and really mm-hmm. gave me the opportunity to customize what I wanted. And I didn't have the financial means to do that before. And that wasn't the only yeah. reason. Like I, as soon as like I did my research and like heard people play it and whatnot, I was like super invested. Like, oh, I really want to make this great. And I really want to help like contribute to this brand because it's obviously doing amazing things. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I customized that over like a course of like almost a year. It was a very long process. Um, but then whenever I got it, I felt like <laughs> I didn't have to try so hard. My biggest problem in playing, oh, oops, sorry. It's just fine. feeling like I have to try so hard to make stuff happen. But when, yeah. as soon as I played the hog, like it just became so natural. I wasn't as afraid to perform anymore. Like it would sometimes, I just feel so tired after playing like mentally and like physically. It was just like, I felt so like, Oh, you know, you mentioned, Um, you mentioned feel over and over again, but I don't hear sound. I was group chatting my old trauma professor and he was saying like, it took me, I don't know, 30, 20 long years to realize that, it's not about the best sound you can make, but whether a certain horn makes you feel right. You know, mm-hmm. just like, because you will, no matter what, you will always sound like you, which so, so you can, you know, amend and change sounds and all that. But just like, if it, it needs to feel right, because if you're, if you're going to play it lo- long, more than you're comfortable with, I mean, then make it possible, that kind of thing. Really. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. And like, there was, there's a lot of people, like, I definitely agree with that too, but there's a lot of people that also say like, oh, like it, I mean, it just matters how you sound to the audience. It doesn't matter how you feel, but like, there has to be a balance in that. Obviously, yes, that's right. if it's hurting a lot to play and you sound good, like that's like, eventually it's going to hurt you later down the road and yeah. you're just going to get injured or something and then you won't be able to play anymore. So yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. But yeah, I even like, sound wise some people didn't like it because it sounded it didn't sound as american it's a very european sound which hog is based in switzerland so it's obviously going to sound like that just like time is germany yeah exactly and so i i mean that is my sound concept i think whenever i'm older i would like i aspire to like be in europe and be based in there um Mm -hmm. overall over i but i would also um be open to the us i guess it really depends mm-hmm. but that just fits more of my sound concept too so a lot of people really like the aspect it sounded a lot different than what you're used to hearing in the us mm-hmm. um which is what made me even more sure and so mm-hmm. i compared what i was playing and that like for like a couple months like two months before making my decision um just to be sure i mean i kind of knew from the beginning i knew it was what i wanted to do as soon as i played it but i didn't want to make a bad decision and just like jump right on this deal like really fast um without thinking it through and so after like consulting a lot of people and like really trusting my gut <laughs> i made the decision and i could not be any happier i really i really can't <laughs> awesome so obviously like any professional traumas who can play anything can play anywhere but like regionally speaking like there are different sound concepts so essentially like even though you could technically play the play trombone like in america europe wherever really it's just like 
how someone sounds can essentially dictate where they will most likely succeed. Because if you have the European, so to speak, sound concepts, then maybe that's where you're going to be more successful. Or you ch- or you change the the whole narrative of sound concept and essentially bring it to America and like essentially redefine their sound concept. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so I guess the last question is just like, there's you, you know, proving that you can be successful after trying so hard. I mean, you auditioned to many, many schools and eventually got accepted into all of them. What's your message to those doing the same thing, going on Instagram every day, just posting, being asked about themselves and they're just not getting the same results. I mean, like, is your message to them? Well, then you're not going to be successful. They should play a different instrument or it's just like, just keep trying or anything like that. It's like, you are obviously very lucky to be where you are at, where you're at, mm-hmm. at Juilliard and other people, you know, might be banging their heads like, and they can't even get into, I don't know, Montclair or something like that. Some, some other school that's so easy to get to. I mean, you said yourself and I'm, I'm going to end this right pretty soon. You said yourself, your audition at Northwestern was trash. Someone might've played their best audition ever at Northwestern and still didn't get in. Like what's your message to people who just who are trying so hard to be a, to be as good as they can be, but are just not getting the same results. Well, I definitely relate to those people because that was me like my entire career. Like I and I I feel like it now, but I think I've seen a lot more results since I'll I'll get to why. Because I almost quit so many times because I thought I was just incapable of that like my lips weren't made for the instrument. I didn't have the mentality or whatever it was. Yeah. But yeah. you really just can't look at the results and think just because you're failing right now that that's going to be how it's like in the future of course some people like if you just don't work hard and you just aren't willing to practice then music probably isn't right for you but if you have the drive and you really want to make it happen you can most certainly make it happen like no matter what your background um no matter like what like the shape of your lips are or if you have to weird like use a weird armature because like your lips aren't like the standard or whatever that's how some people see it it takes a lot of going out of your way as well really like taking every advantage of a time where you can just be around similar people people that are better than you people who love music as much as you do amazing faculty members like if you're auditioning for colleges get lessons with all the teachers you're applying for. I know it's a lot of money, maybe do like the, like your top picks, but (laughs) you have to really put yourself in uncomfortable situations and like, just do it. Like do, do things you're uncomfortable with just because they're uncomfortable for you. Like if you're avoiding your problems, avoiding things that make you nervous or feel awkward or whatever it is, then like, how are you going to grow? I thought I would never take a lesson with Joseph Lessie before because I looked up to him so much, but then I realized like, like I'm just hurting myself. Like if I want to like get better at my instrument and like learn from someone that I really look up to, then like, this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. And also realize that there are so many people in the music in- industry that are willing to help you. Like if you just reach out to someone over direct message, yes, like they can be the most helpful and kind people ever. I know like when I was like um, auditioning for Juilliard, like the best thing was being in a group chat with a lot of Juilliard trombonists and like asking them for advice and like getting to know them as people, not seeing them as like assets, like, Oh, Oh, okay, if I'm friends with them, then I'll get into Juilliard. No, but like just right. really valuing them as people and just wanting to be friends with them because they're cool, you know? So yeah. Yeah. And if anyone's watching here, that's like auditioning for college or feels like they're just trying really hard, like feel free to reach out to me. I'm so open to helping anybody that is in that boat because I know how like stressful and 
uh, heart-wrenching it can be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're at Juilliard, you're studying trauma and all that, but at the end of the day, you want to be a composer or no conductor. Is that what it is, right? I want to do conducting and trombone alongside each other, not like one right. over the other, okay. just at the same time. And what is it about orchestral conducting or just conducting in general that really piques your interest? If I'm going to be honest, I felt really weird about trombone for a while. I guess this this ties in with the doubt I was feeling. I just felt like I didn't I wasn't meant to play the instrument or whatever, which kind of Even sounds Even though worse. you're at Juilliard right now, I mean, obviously you're meant <laughs> to play the instrument. I mean, wh why would you say that, you know? I <laughs> But yeah, I felt like that. I felt like when I when I perform, I never really felt like I was having a good time. But there were certain moments in my life where I definitely realized, like, I'm so glad I picked trombone. Like, I love it. Like, I, I don't even know why I was feeling that way. Um, but I was thinking about, like, switching instruments and, like, organ was, like, something I really wanted to play for a while. And I was just, and that was, like, this past summer. I was just like, oh, God, like, why are you going to trombone, Sarah? Like, I I don't know. You're not like mm -hmm. you don't fit with trombone. And then like as soon as I got to NYO, they gave us the opportunity to conduct um, the orchestra. And so um, they had Beethoven six for us to conduct. And I I felt like so super nervous. And I was like, oh, I'm just doing this because I know it's good for me. I'll have to learn to conduct at some point. So I better do this. And I did take a conducting class at Interlochen, but I absolutely despised it. I was never prepared. I just half-assed the way through that class. Um, it was so bad, but, and then I conducted and it just felt so natural. Like I was like, that was like, I never felt that happy in such a long time. Like I felt su yeah. super, I wasn't like sad the whole summer, but like, I felt really like uh, something was missing and that yeah. completely filled every ounce in my heart about just like what I was meant to do. And it helped me figure things out. And just something about being involved with all these different instruments in the orchestra yeah. and just having like that sense of authority and making music like visually, it just spoke so much with me. And, and, and it also helps the trombone because as soon as that happened, mm -hmm. like I felt like super, I felt like trombone was easier as well. I don't know. I felt like I could never really express what was in my mind when I played trombone, but with conducting, I felt like I was expressing everything that was in me, which I really, um, I really appreciated. And I was really thankful for that experience. And so that video is actually on my Instagram. That's like the, the very moment I realized that I wanted to be a conductor when I was on the podium. Oh, I did not mention this. Um, I'm a, a, an apprentice conductor for the New York Youth Symphony. Really? And so yeah. I had to post that on YouTube for like the music director yeah. to see. And so, no, I, I, to talk a little bit about that i only went to one rehearsal so so far and i have one um tomorrow um that's gonna be my second nice um cool. which i mean the first time it went great everyone is awesome the musicians sound great and we like we observe rehearsal and then afterwards like we have a talk back session and we like talk about what well went well in the rehearsal what didn't go well and then we like work on a little bit of technique together which is very very enjoyable and i feel like anytime i conduct or that one time i got out of that class like i always feel like refueled sometimes with trombone i feel like it just sucks energy out of me but with conducting like i feel like oh i'm so ready for this week yeah, I feel super fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's the perfect time. Like Sunday, like right before the new week starts. Like, I feel yeah. I'm in such a good mood. Like every time I get out of that. So there's so much more I can say about conducting, but I just I love it, and I really hope, like, I can do a lot more of that in my career. We have a question from chat. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. Um, David Langle says, what was the most important change to you mentally in the past several years? How did that change happen? I think having a more well-rounded... Oh, I guess we kind of talked about it, but I'll go more into detail. Yeah. Having a more well-rounded view on music is the most important thing. Some people think they can just be a classical musician without listening to music and really getting to know the composers that wrote the music you're playing. I mean, I guess people do get away with it, but they don't like it. There's always something missing whenever yeah. you just play what's written and not um, anything um not really take account of like the composer's story. And Rick Abono really taught me that while I was at Interlochen. And he had me listen to more recordings, more orchestras, really get to know the sounds of every orchestra and like different conductors. And also um, just like doing research, like I said. It sounds like super weird. Like, oh, how is like just knowing that this composer was born in this certain year or, or just knowing why they wrote this piece like that's not gonna make any difference like you just have to get better fundamentally but that's not true like eventually it builds up just the amount of knowledge you have and then music becomes like something that's just super not easy but more natural i think like that aspect of like getting better knowledge wise really helped me improve and i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for like really taking account of that because Treating music as a sport, like, I don't want to say a bad word, that really messed me up um, in the beginning stages of my career. That really, yeah. like, I was not not going to make it if I kept thinking. Score the most points, like win the auditions, and the rest will take care of itself. That that approach, that sporty yeah. approach, I guess. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And some people, may, I mean, like, when it comes to motivation, like, that's cool. Like, taking inspiration from, like, sports people and like seeing how they taking account of like how they breathe or like how they warm up like before like a big um competition or something like that i don't know but um that's that's great but like just some i don't think it really ties in with music that much because music is like in like a different like realm like it's a really different type of art form and i don't think seeing it as a sport and like being so physical about everything is gonna help you so that's that's something that really that mentality change is something that really helped me. And also being well-rounded as a person, like you really have to prioritize like the relationships you have in your life and like yeah. your friends and getting like better and well-versed at other things outside of music. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's basically what I have to say about that. Andre, you have anything else you want to add? Oh, just I'm thinking about, you know, also like how it took a while for me to learn how to prioritize uh, rest and physical health amongst oh, the yeah. other things you said, just so that my music making trombone playing can succeed. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, totally. So, agree yeah, with all that. I just remembered something. So at the first college I went to and I was not a music major, though I inspired to be at some point, really. But like I was practicing like so much, like uh, oftentimes twice a day and um for multiple reasons, which I won't get into, I just wasn't able to get better. I mean, part of it was also just like me being the already being the best trauma at the school, really. I, so I transferred schools uh, for, for different reasons. And the second school, I practiced half as much as I did at the first school, but I improved like tremendously much more. I think part of it is also just like, what are you focusing on and not just playing the horn? It's like, anyone can say, well, listen to your sound and you can just listen to your sound. But like when you're playing the trombone, you feel, you feel a certain way and like that feeling and your mental approach to something like that has a such a huge impact on like your ability to improve. Even though someone can has the physical capability to play to play the trombone, they may not be in the mental mindset to 
to mentally obtain and learn something long term. Andre, I think um this this I think I think this goes back to just like how you know some of your students might be struggling with rhythm. Maybe maybe part of it's just like giving people the patience to have time to themselves so that when they do come back to the horn, they're interested and and don't feel obligated to do so all the time. Like you do not want to walk to the trombone and be and just and cry because you have no other choice and this is your only option or anything like that. Yeah. You want to desire and like want to pick up the horn and want to learn something. If you're not in the mindset of just learning something like then it might be best to not play at all, honestly. You, you know what I mean, sir? A little bit just kind of like some of the things I'm thinking about. It's just like, again, I practice half as much, but I improve tremendously much more. Can I guess we can wrap things up right here. Sarah, do you have anything else you want to share with the audience? Just like um, last last words of advice, really. Based on what you just said um, before I just started talking. Um, yeah, it's just like some people think like, oh, if I practice six hours a day, then like I will just be amazing, like no matter what happens. But it's really right. about yeah. just having really quality and productive practice. And people, I think it like someone brought up to me like a couple of weeks ago, like it's like an ego thing, just like being able to say, yeah, I can practice six hours a day. But if you're not really showing it whenever like <laughs> you're performing or if you're in rehearsal with people, then it doesn't really mean much. So, right. Um, yeah. What's what it really is about is like having a really good result without having to try so hard. So right. I definitely agree with you there. But other than that, I mean, I think I've summed up basically everything, uh, I wanted to say, what about you guys? Just ask, is there any project in the work? Anything you want to like shout out, make people aware of? I think with my, um, with the New York Youth Symphony, I'm going to be conducting like a couple pieces, um, like yeah. in concert, like I think later in the year though, I'm not hundred percent sure it's in the works, yeah. but, um, I'll be doing that, which I'm super excited for. Oh, I have some orchestra concerts in the city. I'll definitely post more about it whenever I find out, but it'll be open to the public too. So if any of you guys are in New York city at any nope. given point, nope. well, well, anyone watching, yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Sorry. just no one. <laughs> um but yeah if anyone watching is in the city then definitely come by and say hi that would be awesome and then i'm also somewhat working on a website i haven't been prioritizing it but i'm planning on getting that up in the next few months so um stay tuned for that sarah really really appreciate you um having this chat with us today i really liked i think my favorite part of them from this interview was just how you just how you like saw people's music music accounts and just saw like how perfect they were and i think this goes back to like your greatest accomplishment was humanizing instagram trombone you, you know what i mean just like sharing like hey you don't need to be perfect to be to be successful and have people like you you know like that's a part of who we are that's a part yeah. of life that was my biggest takeaway from this interview and um i appreciate you saying that like thank you that really means the world to me like ab for you. absolutely Thanks. i wish you the best of luck in your in your time at Juilliard right now, Thank you. actually. Thanks. And and also just like, you know, hoping you really do find that more fulfillment in conducting that, like you said, you were. Oh, thank you. And yeah. thanks for both of you, like for having me today. Like I really had a enjoyable time talking with you both. And uh, it was nice to be able to actually talk to y'all because yeah. I've always seen yeah. you online, but never mm -hmm. like actually talk. So yeah, right. Likewise, you know, we, sh we share so much of uh, our background. So I was really excited yeah. to have the chance Interlocking, to talk to you. Texas, stuff. Texas, Interlocking, Juilliard. Yeah. And uh, we went too. on the same. Yeah. <laughs> That's Every, cool. so, yeah. Well, I look forward to the chance to meet you in person sometime. We can talk even more. Um, oh, yeah. But, that would be you know, awesome. I, I'm, I'm really impressed with your mindset. Uh, 
you know, especially for someone just entering the college phase of their career. And oh, I think uh, we're all really excited to see you as a person in your career develop and see where yes. you go. So thanks oh, for, for joining thank us. Thank you. Yeah, yeah yes. thanks. And I'll, I'll let you both know if I'm ever in the area where both of you are and we mm-hmm. definitely should go out sometime. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I didn't share this. I'm in the Chicago area. Uh, yeah, I'm in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. We're, we're, we're all very far apart from each other, which is a long drive yeah. for each of us if we're going to meet up with. Really. <laughs> all right. Well, Sarah, um, have a nice night. Enjoy your two birthday parties. Hope you find your <laughs> gifts for your friends. And maybe it's not just Thank a fancy, uh, maybe it's a hag trombone. I don't know. Or, you know. <laughs> here's, well, here's, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I hope you both have a good night as well. Thank you. Likewise. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Andre, we're gonna we're, Andre, we're gonna we're also gonna finish up right now. Is that That's right? right. With you? All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Good night, all of you. Okay. Good, night. Good night, everyone. Bye. Bye.